Well, here we are, and this is exciting again for me because my guest back, Tim, did such a great job. We had a, a, a lot of feedback about how good Brooke was. Brooke's going to delve into more of the property management uh, side of things. Yeah, we had calls for part two to be out soon, so... Well, we thought we'd leave it a little while, but the out the outcry that they hadn't got part two was really big. So, uh, welcome to our studio, Brooke. Thanks, Mark and Tim. And a new studio, we're a bit... Yeah, we, yeah, we've had to have a little bit of move in studio, so we hope that we sound okay, because... We didn't. We thought we booked it, and somebody else booked it instead of us, Tim. So here we are. But we think Brooke will make up for it because she's excellent. She is. She is. How you been, Brooke? Good. How are you? Good. You haven't. You know, fame hasn't got to your head over the last couple of weeks. Uh, just a little bit. People stopped you in the street. Absolutely, asking for my autograph. You get used to it, don't you, Mark? You do. You get used to it. You think, well, you know, it's only right that people should ask these things. Yeah. So what are we going to talk about? <laughs> Well, we sort of went through a little bit of the process of um, how, what, what you need to do to list a property. We went through the application stage last time, which was great. I think people got a lot out of that, in particular about you know some of the ways that you can improve it with the photos. And that was really enlightening. So we thought we might move on to a few things that once the property's already listed or that things have got to happen for it to go on to advertisement. Well... Yeah. Well, what about an easy one to start with, maybe, is I'm a tenant. You're a tenant, yep. yes. And yep. I'm in a 12-month lease. Yep. And I just purchased a property, and I settle next month. How do I get out of my lease? So you want a break lease. Brooke, I, this is a great question, because I think this happens more often than people think. And I know a landlord's scared of it, and a tenant's going, how do I do it? Now, not that we want everybody to break their lease, but there is an actual way that it has to happen, doesn't it, Brooke? Yeah, so if you're a tenant wanting to break your lease, you need to give uh, the intention that you want to vacate to your property manager um, and that you want to break your lease. You'll then pay a break lease advertisement fee. Um, You also have to pay the rent up until a new tenant is secured and locked in and they've started their tenancy. Um, and then you'll also pay a pro rata fee, which generally uh, that would cap off at one week's rent, but we can't really indicate to the tenant prior to locking in another tenant what their break pro rata break lease fee will be um, because we need it goes off how many days are remaining in your lease at the time we secure a new tenant. So, But if you just think of it that you cap it off at one week's rent and allow that, um, but say you had, you know, 11 months left in your lease, it would mean that you're more than likely to pay 90% of one week's rent. Ah, okay, I'm with you. So let's say let's say I was renting a property for $400 a week and I had six months to go. Yep. The pro rata would be $200. Plus GST. Yep, plus yep. GST. Yep. And then how much is the advertisement fee, uh, roughly? With, I mean, obviously it depends on what agency you're with. They yep. all set their own advertisement fees, but ours is just $99. And that will get you advertisement on realestate.com, um, domain, all the big websites, and yep. then you'll get a signboard out the front. And then, so I've essentially got $300 in that scenario I've got to pay. And then I have to keep paying the rent until... Harcourts find another tenant. Yep. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. I think that's the really interesting thing. People think, oh, yeah, I'll just pay that break lease fee and I'll just run away. But you've got to understand that if it's the other way around, which we're going to talk about as well, is like if the property's sold by a landlord, what does that really mean? It is a contractual document. So you have signed a contract 
People just think I'm just signing a lease, is, but it is a contract. Yes. Is the so let's say I had a twelve month lease and I've got six months through and I want to break the lease. Yep. Is the landlord? Do they have to put it back up for four hundred dollars, or can they increase the rent? They great have, question, Tim. That is Very a great. Cr- that's a great question. They have to advertise it for the same amount that the property was leased for, yep. um, and that's obviously to give the tenants the best opportunity and us the best opportunity to secure a new tenant. Yeah. Um, if we go increasing the rent, then that would uh, obviously give the tenants less chance of, or us less chance of finding. Potential it's tenants. It's a little bit rough though. If I if I was the landlord and say the market had been going up, yeah, and I had a twelve month lease and they only had a month to go, yep. In my mind, I'm thinking another month and I can probably put the rent up maybe ten dollars a week or fifteen. But if they break lease, I can't, can I? Well, in that circumstance, if you had a month to go, you're probably not really breaking the lease you would you come to just... some agreement i mean you've got to give 28 days notice anyway okay, yeah um but you'd you'd come to, we've got landlords that say okay they've only got two months left or three months left of their lease yeah i prefer to pay for the advertisement just release them from their lease and then that way um you know i i can put the rent up for what i want it do, to do do <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't ask this, but do the break lease fees go to the agency or the landlord? It's a great question. So some of the costs is we have there is costs to advertise property again, isn't there? Yes, there is. So it, so it goes to the agency, but yeah. it, it's also if you look at it, the fact the landlord doesn't have to pay those extra costs. So yeah, so the landlord's not losing out, and that's yeah. really to cover the extra yeah. admin work and all those sort of costs that we have to do yeah. in the regular. But if they're, they're paying up until the new tenants in the property, that obviously goes to the landlord, less their management fees. Yeah. So essentially what it's designed to stop, Tim, is that some might have a legitimate reason to leave. So maybe their work's disappeared and they've got to move to actually have yeah. their work. So they need to have a method to actually get out of the lease. But at the same time, in good faith, the landlord can't have the property vacant without yeah, without, because without rent. Otherwise, there'd be no point. Yeah, and, and I think it's interesting that you brought up the one about the rent rise. That is really important because, as you say, we've been in a market, for instance, that in the last... 12 months, the vacancy rate in Ballarat's moved from 1.6 to currently 1.1. So clearly, yes, rents have risen in that period of time, but it would be, you've you've got to look at it from the tenant's point of view, they can't be held ransom to have that property released. What about if a market's going down? So in that case, the $400 a week property you can't advertise for four hundred. The market's going down. So does it get advertised for three eighty, or what happens? Um, so yeah, you would assess the market, but you would still advertise it at the lease property amount. But we we with any property that we put up for lease, we assess it. So we assess mm. it on a week by week basis. If we're not getting many interactions, we'll we'll lower the rent. So it's always better to. You can't ever increase the rent once yep. you advertise it, but you can lower the rent. There, there's also circumstances in, in the case of that is that it may be that you can only lease it at a, rent, at a lesser rent. Well, then realistically, mm. that tenant is still actually for the difference. Okay. Yeah, so there's a difference that you can then charge because if they weren't there, yep. the landlord would have been receiving that rent at all times. So just, in, just as in if the market's gone up to yep. protect the um, tenant for not having to worry about while they're trying to get more money for the property. Yeah. It actually works the same way the other way around. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's a really good it's a really good question mm-hmm. because it's 
not as simple as people think. People think, oh, well, and uh, the other thing that we'll often get with that, and I know that you would have got this, Brooke, is that, oh, why can't I just put my friends in? Mm. Yeah. And yeah. The re- there's a good reason why I can't put the friends, just put the friends in. They might, we might be able to. Yeah. But if they still have chance. to be assessed the yeah. same and they have to be agreed to. And then the other part point of it, something I think that you probably you were skirting around but maybe not asking, what's the length of that tenancy? So if it's got eight months to go, they're actually filling in eight months. They're not filling in another 12 months. But like as Brooke said, if it's near the end of the tenancy, they might say, well, I don't really want to have somebody in there for three months. Yeah. I'm going to decide that we, we'll come to some arrangement. We'll re-advertise it. We'll get a new tenant in for at least 12 months because that suits me. So there's a little bit of... There's a bit of negotiation in that. So I think as well, a lot of people are getting confused. So when somebody breaks lease and we find a new tenant, we can lock them in for six or 12 months. They, can, they will sign another 12-month lease, so they're not necessarily taking over the other tenant's lease. Yep. But there is something that we do call a lease transfer, and this is the point where yeah. people say, can I lease it to my friend? Look, it's not up to them at the end of the day, but their friend would still have to make an application, go through all the checks, yep. be approved by the owner, and then they'd have to pay a lease transfer fee, um, and then we would prepare the documentation. And that's when, say, they broke lease or left the property. I'm not going to say break lease, but they left the property after three months. Is where that other tenant would come in and take over for that remaining nine. So there's months. two different parts. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that answers that well. This isn't a question I had on my list, but a question I've thought of. Let's say two people are renting a property. They're both on the lease. One, they separate. One moves out and one goes, well, I'm paying my half. It's not my problem if my ex-partner's not paying their half. Are they both liable? I assume they are. They're both liable. And they before we do a lease transfer, because that's, that's essentially the same thing, it's a lease transfer, we're, we're transferring it from two tenants to one, um, they have to all come to an agreement because they've got to both sign, uh, both sign the lease transfer paperwork and they also have to sign the RTBA bond transfer. Yep. So if they can't come to a mutual agreement, that's when we would advise the tenants to go to VCAT. Yeah. yeah. So whoever's on the lease are all jointly responsible for yeah. it to be paid. Yeah, and I think that's a really good question because there are times where there's, um, which we try not to do, to be fair, but there are plenty of occasions around Ballarat where there would be a group of people who are just friends. Mm. They're actually not in a relationship. They're actually in a tenancy and they need, one of them can just leave. Mm. It, it doesn't work like that. You actually have signed a contract. I go back to that. The contract still has to be satisfied one way or another. And often, as you've heard, people like Brooke have to go through quite a bit of negotiation to get all the parties together. But that contract must be have an agreed end of one form or another, either a continuation, as in a transfer, or a new lease that the the landlord's happy with and not being upsetting to the tenant that's leaving. In other words, they're not disadvantaged, and then that takes place. So there's a number of different things that can happen, but essentially it comes down to the premise. If you sign a lease, you are responsible. Mm. It is a contract, and the landlord or the rental provider, as we now call them, which we went into last time, um, is looking for that lease to be continued. There, the landlord can say, I'm not going to accept that. That makes sense. Mm. So, Brooke, last time we spoke a fair bit about when people apply references, how they can help the application. To go back the step before that, I wake up today and I go, I need a rental property. Mm-hmm. 
what what do I do? Where do I walk? How do I do, do I ring agencies? Do I go online? What do I do? So the best thing to do is go online, um, look at realestate.com and domain. They're your two biggest ones. You will have homely and smaller other listing sites, but they're your two main ones. Um, you can also refine your search so you can set your price, your price point, um, how many bedrooms you're needing and everything like that. I've been suggesting for tenants, and I know every agency works differently, is this is since COVID times, is pre-apply for the property because... I think that's really important. I, I especially with tenanted properties, I prefer people pre-apply and then if they get shortlisted, uh, then I'll contact them to view the property. Yeah, so this sort of came about because of COVID because originally you used to go look at a property yep. and then you put in an application. Yep. So now you apply online. So yep. I, sh- I assume there's an apply button somewhere you click on to apply online. Yep. Fill in your thing and then you'll be notified if you're shortlisted yep. and then you go and have a look to decide if you want to keep pursuing it or it yep, doesn't exactly. Yeah, the, yep. the act actually states that you need the, the tenant needs to be able to look at the property yep. before signing a lease. But because of the way that things have transferred and also because of this circumstance where we're down to 1.1% in Ballarat, mm. for instance... If you're not ready with your application, somebody's going to beat you. So, so you really need to have everything in place so, first. So when you said the tenant must inspect the property before they can be accepted, can someone inspect the property on their behalf or not? What yes. happens if they're in Yeah, they yeah. can. Because yes, that, can. that's considered. And same with the circumstances we've had, and particularly through COVID, because physical inspections were difficult, that can be a virtual inspection. Yeah. But they have to then agree to it being a virtual inspection that their rights have been satisfied by that virtual inspection. Okay, so if I'm in Queensland moving to Ballarat and I don't know anyone here, I could do a yep. virtual yeah. inspection if or I wanted to. Or alternatively, like you said, you might have a brother here and the brother can yeah, go, I, but you've transferred the rights of that inspection to them to the brother. Yep. I know it sounds very legalistic, but at the end of the day, there are legal principles that are at case and, and probably never so much. People always think about the the contractual obligations in the sale property, but they are there in every rental property Absolutely. as well. Mark, I know we've spoken before about landlords renting their own properties out and whether they should, whether yeah. they shouldn't. What about from a tenant? What's the, my risk as a tenant if I lease the property through someone, through someone who's doing it privately? Yep. So one problem that we've seen, we just took over one that was privately rented. There was... The tenants had paid two weeks rent up front and a bond, but the landlord had no um, receipt of that bond. He hadn't lodged the bond through the RTBA. Um, so that's a risk, obviously, that you have. Um, yeah, so there's it's, a few. I think it comes down to very simply due process. Yeah. There is due process that's, that's required at every stage. The bond is a really good one. Yeah. There's nothing... Yes, it's against the law, but there's no way a real estate agency is going to risk their licence by not lodging that bond with the RTBA on your behalf. There's every chance that the landlord thinks that's my money. So I'm going to go and use it for whatever I'm going to use it for, and at the other end, I'm going to worry about it. Well, at the other end, if the landlord's short on money, how are they going to pay back the bond? Yeah. So there's realistically, it's about your rights, and and a number of those rights probably, if you're renting through a non-agency, they may not even know them. It may not even be that they don't want to give you your rights. They just don't know them. The Act Mm. is pretty deep and quite complex, 
And it would be very hard for somebody who's not in the industry to actually know, especially with all the change that happened in April of last year, that upgrade to that Residential Tenancy Act was massive. So it virtually doubled um, the the Act, and therefore there's a whole heap of things that that has had um, a knock-on effect to. Yeah. I mean, we're trained, like we, this is our industry, this is our job, so we know how to do it, but somebody off the street would not know how to manage a property to the same standard that we can. Look, and an agency can still make mistakes, mistakes. And there are, you know, there are very large penalties for making those mistakes. What people don't probably understand is that whether or not it's with an agency, the act's the same. Mm. So the landlord also, or the tenant also, holds themselves out for issues within the Act. They just, they're just probably not made aware of them or they don't understand them. And that's nothing more than the fact that the Act's quite complex. I suppose it's one of those things that's only once you get an issue you realise you can have big problems if you mm. haven't ticked every... Tech, crossed every T and yeah, dotted every and, I. You know, it might be a tenancy trying to get out, a tenant trying to get out of their thing and wondering where their bond is because they need to go to a next property. They've had to move and they mm. don't have that ability. And the, the landlord, or in the old fashioned word, is holding them to ransom, saying, You're not going to get your bond till you do this, 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 and this. There's no understanding of what those things necessarily are. Where with yeah. the with an agency, it's very, very clear. All of your rights are given to you at every stage. Yeah. So you'll always have documentation. I think that's the big thing, the documentation, if you read it. They still have that, red, have that red book thing. Uh, so there's a link that? now on Consumer Affairs. So it's digital, but yes, uh, they still have it's the still tenant there. handbook yeah. book. And if you are a tenant uh, listening to this, I'd highly advise that you do read over that handbook. Um, because it's important. It's got everything you need to know about your tenancy. Well, I think there's a little bit of a misnomer sometimes. We we as agents represent the residential rental provider or the landlord, but we're also very cognizant and aware of the rights of renters. So that's not necessarily the case in a private arrangement. It can be, and some of those private arrangements would be quite legitimate and do all of the right steps, but we by law have to abide by it. So realistically, for both residential rental providers and for renters, their safety within the Act is much stronger through an agency. Yeah, Yeah, I would agree. Brooke, how long have you been a property manager? Uh, Five years. That's quite a while. Yes, it is. So why, Brooke? You could do anything in the world. Oh, I think you could. You reckon (laughs) maybe not a doctor, but I think you could if you wanted to. Why do you like being a property manager? Look, what attracted to me to property management was obviously no two days are the same. Um, it's not as much as you do a lot of repetitive things throughout the day. Um, no two days are the same, so every day is different. Um, every day is interesting. Um, and look, I like the nine to five lifestyle as well. Um, that's obviously attractive and it's a really rewarding career. Um, I mean, you go through a lot of obstacles and a lot of hurdles, but when you get over those hurdles, it's really rewarding to see that you have, you know, client satisfaction, um, and yeah, you make people happy at the end of the day. So that's, yeah, what attracted me to it. Good. It brings me to one other thing too, Mm. Tim, that... We've been talking about all of these complex situations in law. That's one of the reasons that during April last year when the Residential Tenancy Act was changed, there was an amnesty period which is now over 
So if you want to become a property manager or you want to get into real estate, it's a good idea to look at what you've got to study because in Mm. essence, what they found was that the industry needed the requirement of the people to be more educated before they moved into real estate. So now you essentially have to do what you used to have to do to be fully licensed to get your agents yeah, represented. Which so is is it? I think is it like similar to a diploma? Is that yeah? What it is it cert four? I believe it's 21 units. So when we used to do an agent's representative course, we do three of those 21 units. And now an agent's representative course is that full 21 units. So 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 you have a question. It is a cert four. And that also means that in certain cases, there is an ability for people to to get some help with that because it actually now Mm -hmm. is... Um, an education standard of a cert four. So, do you need to have that before you start, or can you start and study at the same time? You can do yeah. both, but you are restricted for certain things that you're allowed to do. So, when basically, you, you can't do any decisions that's based upon yeah. a tenant, like being on your L plates sort of it thing. You've, got, you've like got to have someone. Somebody's got to be there. You just yeah. simply can't make a decision, yeah. and and the agency itself would be in quite a deal of difficulty. And you can't obviously. Prepare all sign any legal documentation like lease agreements, landlord yeah. authorities, anything like that. Um, but yeah, like we've got somebody here that's on a traineeship at the moment. He's about to undertake his agent's representative course. So you can obviously jump into the industry before you get that call or mm. before you get that qualification. Like clearly there'll be opportunities if you've gone off your own bat and got that qualification. Mm. You'll have much more opportunity probably to get in the industry. Yeah. If you turn up and you've already got that, I yeah. think you're going to be a long way in front of you. Well, it shows yeah. that you're, really, you're actually thinking about it, that you're, you've actually found out what's going to be right for you. And it is something you could do like either when you finish school or if you were doing another job, you could start studying part-time and, and, you and have it all ready so when you do change, you're, you're right to go. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I know people that have completed the course in 12 months, but then I know people that have completed it in as little as three months. So it's really what you put into it, how fast. And that would depend on that. whether you are doing it yep. solely as just, yep. uh, you know, yeah. for your whole day or yeah. whether you're doing it and you're trying to work somewhere. So yeah. that, that yeah. will make a difference. But I think that helps when you mm. go through all of these things. There's good reason behind it. Mm. Mm. Well, I think we've covered a fair bit today, haven't we? Yeah. Well, we, we we have. We didn't quite get to the finalising and bond that you're going to talk about. But what well, do you want to talk about? That let's go. Finalising a bond. Is that something that you're going to ask me an open-ended question? Well, <laughs> you know, it's more about how do they get their bond? What's yep. the process? Because At the end, that is something yep. that we do get asked a lot. And I think maybe that could be our last yep. point that we'll then finish up. Yep. So with um, finalising your bond at the end of your tenancy, we obviously do an exit inspection on the property. Prior to that, you'll get a cleaning checklist. That is the most important thing. You need to thoroughly go through that cleaning checklist and do everything, either organise a professional cleaner, because best bet is professional cleaner is going to do a better job than you or I. And the Act does say if it was professionally cleaned prior to entrance, you must get one, so that's important to know. Yep, or you need to clean it to professional standards. So you need to obviously go through that checklist, make sure there's no damage. Um, You can always, what also helps is bringing up your original condition report. Um, and then that way you know what condition the property was in at the start of the tenancy. Yeah, I think that's really important. And then once that's all done, then the bond can be applied for. Is that that's correct? Yeah, for? so then, you know, as long as everything's good on the exit inspection, we'll then uh, give them their bond bond back. Yeah, and, and look, and this is probably where it comes down to. That's why that report that Brooke talked about last time, right at the start, so important, both yeah. for 
both for rental uh, residential rental providers and for renters or tenants and landlords in the old speak. Yeah. Because that's what the reference is going to be by. There is an understanding that things will suffer wear and tear. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if it's damage, one way or another it either has to be repaired or at least if some sort of agreement must come to regarding payment for that. Yeah. yeah, and I assume there's a big difference between if someone's been in there 12 months or if they've been in there 5, 10, yep. 20 oh, years. Absolutely, because it'll go back to the period of time. Clearly, the, the wear and tear on carpet's going to be much more over that period of time. Yeah, so that's when we refer back to that depreciation schedule. So a lot of tenants are under the impression that they have to leave the property, you know, you know, brand new, um, but it is... We do obviously account for general wear. Yeah, and I think that's sometimes with um, residential rental providers, they'll say, but it was mm. a brand new property. We go, yeah. yes, it's a brand new property, but it's had a year of wear. Yeah. Reasonable wear is okay, damage is not. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's pretty important. We can go into that more, but I think it was just a good thing to end on. Yeah. Mm. Um, that there is a process for that as well. It just doesn't happen that you finish and I leave and I get my bond back. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. But alternatively, it also doesn't leave doesn't work that I finish, I leave, and the landlord's not happy that they necessarily get the bond. Yeah. There is a process to go through, and if that process can't be adhered to, at the end of it, we're back at VCAT again. Yeah. But most times, it's sorted out. Most times, tenants get all their bond back. Is that Majority. Yeah. I would say, you know, 90% of tenants do the right thing. Yeah. They, you know, leave it in a good condition. They leave it spick and span, and, you know, they get their bond back. But then there's obviously that 10% that does fulfill and make our jobs a bit harder than what they have to be. But and most of what we spoke about is about that 10%, you know, the, yeah. the cases yeah, where this happens so. or that happens, and, you know, most of the time it's smooth yeah. sailing. Look, at the but end of the day, property management and the duties from either side is not something to be scared of, but it's something to be aware of. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's a, that's a different thing. But, Brooke, you've been fantastic Thank again you. today. It's been wonderful, and the time's actually gone pretty quickly, but I think we've uh, probably... Call it a day for this. Well, we better life. say, um, what about Jeff and the boys oh, down under? Yeah, you got on. You were going to give me back because I had a go at you last time about this. Yeah, so we thought we'd better. Time, but we, we should say hello to Jeff and the boys down there. Around. Could be could um, be 3 a.m. when they listen, could be middle of the day. Either way, it'll be dark. But I'd also like to thank the people that actually did comment on the last one that we did with the property management. We had a few. Yeah. Uh, people writing in saying I think it was, it was Brooke's mum, uh, Brooke's grandma, you, her, yeah. best, her <laughs> best friend. They didn't um, even have the ability to use that. the internet, Tim, <laughs> okay. so... No, really. The reality was it was great, and I think that's the whole point. We'd like to thank you for coming on and doing such a great job and, and enlightening some of the people out there. Once again, if, the, if any of this has brought up any questions, we'd love to hear about it. We like to actually answer them on podcasts going forward. And if you want to speak to Brooke, call the office, ask Brooke. Yeah, that's right. Probably she'll get more calls than we will, Tim. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So, thanks, Brooke. Bye, Tim. As always, Mark, thank you. Cheers. See you next time.